Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Been a little bit on, on uh, Twitter. I'm getting a little bit of an echo just to let uh, my producer know back at home base. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's kind of an interesting time right now in the NFL. Normally at this time of year, players are uh, steadily at their team facilities. OTAs have started in their conditioning phase uh, of the offseason program. It's when you get into the weight room, uh, work with um, your strength and conditioning coach, um, you're allowed to get on the field a little bit uh, without – there's no coach supervision out there. Like John Gruden can't be out there, unless, for instance, for the Raiders. I think the strength and conditioning coaches can be out there as well because, you know, conditioning isn't just in the weight room and, and doing your cardiovascular uh, in, the, in the weight room. But it's also getting on the field and doing agility drills, and it's all supervised uh, by professionals. And it's a way to get your body back – on track to being prepared for what you're going to face uh, in training camp, um, you know, what you're going to obviously face in the, uh, in the regular season. Um, you know, this isn't – football is a excruciating sport, and it's a, it's, a, it's a physically challenging sport. You can't just walk out there, uh, come training camp. As, as, as much as you've done as an individual um, on your own, to, to stay in shape, and a lot of these guys do tremendous, tremendous, tremendous work. A lot of guys come out of their own pocket, uh, you know, to to work on their bodies and, and to be in the best possible shape. There's still some elements that, um, you know, you, you need to, you, need, you know, NFL people, your team, your strength and conditioning coach, experts basically, uh, to, to, to oversee it and to get you on the right track and to monitor things for you so that by the time training camp comes around, you're in tip-top shape. Um, we, we, we saw a couple of weeks ago, and it's steadily been, been happening. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, uh, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, uh, it's kind of a free-for-all Wednesday. We want to talk about what I'm get, you know, getting ready to talk about, but also uh, continuing to talk about the draft, the signing of Casey Hayward, the release of Jeff Heath. Where do the Raiders go? Um, or, or how is this Raiders secondary now shaping up? Uh, you're starting to see all the pieces being put into place uh, as they start gearing up and getting ready for uh, the next phase of this offseason heading into training camp. Uh, and I, and I want to start there. Um, you know, we saw that the NFL Players Association, for whatever purposes they're doing this, um, they're starting to urge, they began urging players not to attend uh, OTAs, you know, whether it's the on-field stuff or, or even, you know, don't go to the facility, work out on your own. We don't need this. They've, they used COVID initially as, as kind of a shield. They've come out, and which was a bunch of uh, baloney. They've come out and, and, you know, sort of backtracked off of that and, and 
and said, now, well, we don't believe that, you know, we need the OTAs. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just, um, it's not useful. We showed last year playing in, in games and the, game, the, the season unfolded uh, without regular OTAs that you could put together a season. They claim that injuries were down. I've, I've read plenty of stories where injuries were actually up. Um, there's a lot of cherry picking of the stats uh, out there. Um, but long story short, and I've been steadily, steady on, on, on Twitter kind of trying to explain this, where I think this is very, very short-sighted uh, from the players' union uh, perspective, because I think that you know, most of your, the head of that union, uh, especially from the player side, is typically veteran players that have been at it for a while. And I don't like how J.C. Treader, uh, the president of the union, a, a player himself, he's a starting center for the Cleveland Browns, uh, I, I just don't like how short-sighted he's being right now and, frankly, selfish that he's being right now because essentially what he's saying is, look, I used all those tools. I used OTAs and minicamp and all rookie minicamp and all those type of things early on in my career. And whether he wants to admit it now or not, the fact is all of those tools that were in place that he utilized helped get him to where he is right now. He may try to, you know, no, it didn't. Yes, it did, JC. It absolutely did. Uh, and you, were the, you, you benefited from, from being able to go to your facility and, and, and work with coaches and get in the classroom with your coaches and then get out on the field during this time of year as you were a young player trying to make your mark in this league. You used all of those tools that were at your disposal. And to retroactively now look back and say, no, we don't need that. And, 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 and putting a lot of pressure on the younger members of this union, rookies included, hey, don't, don't do any of that. You know, uh, uh, don't do it. And, and kind of strong-arming them, really, uh, into, into taking that same exact stance, I think is short-sighted, selfish, and I think it's doing a disservice uh, to, to players that are, are in the process of trying to become the next J.C. Treader or the next you know, Khalil Mack or whoever, whatever veteran player you want to name uh, out there uh, that want to be in the building, that want to uh, soak up as much as, as much as they can. You got seventh round picks that are trying to put their best foot forward and trying to earn a spot on the roster that want to get into the building and soak it up and listen to the, and learn from the coaches, get in the playbook, uh, start working out, getting their bodies right. You've got first and second year guys that are, you know, pushing for for starting jobs. You've got guys like Damon Arnett, you know, who had a lost year as a rookie last year, lost valuable time uh, in the weight room and conditioning uh, due to the wrist injury. Uh, and I'm sure wants to get into the building. And for all I know, he is. The Raiders, you know, have have a steady uh, group of players that are working out at the facility in Henderson. Uh, but I think the union using its power to kind of intimidate um, younger players into falling in line, I don't think that's good leadership. And we saw, I believe it was yesterday, maybe it was Monday, um, the danger of that, okay? And there was a player from the Denver Broncos, Juwan James, offensive tackle, who heeded <laughs> the union's advice, don't go to the facility, work out right out on your own if you have to, we're trying to make a stance, and we'll get into the reason why the players are doing this. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, uh, but Jawan James listened to his union leaders, 
opted to stop working out at the facility in Denver, which he was working out at the facility, when the union said, hey, let's kind of all band together here and take a stand, and everyone's all in, and let's all do this. And so Juwan James started, he stopped going to the facility in, in, in Denver and started working out on his own. Well, lo and behold, he tore his Achilles tendon. I think it was yesterday. It might have been Monday. I don't remember exactly the date. But the point is, it was off-site. It wasn't in at the Broncos uh, official uh, um, you know, facility. So every NFL contract <laughs> has a stipulation that if you get hurt away from the facility, your co- contract is, is, can be voided, basically. Um, it's, it's called a non-football injury, which means you didn't get hurt while you were here. Um, and so it looks like Joan James, because he listened to his union and may not have read the fine print, and I think that the union has done a poor job on a lot of different levels, uh, but specifically not exactly explaining to the players what the risks are here. Um, you know, look, we've all, a lot of us have been on, you know, party unions. Some of us are... Um, you know, completely in tune. We read the fine print. We know it inside and out. You know what the what 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 everything that's offered to us, uh, the risks, the rewards, all of that. You know, we have a, a, a great command of it. Is, of it, I'm not necessarily that guy. Sometimes, I, you know, uh, I just trust. You kind of trust your your union leader, thinking, okay, you know, that person has my back. I'm just going to sign off on it. You know, I don't need to do any more investigate. They've done that for me. And I have a feeling that there are players that fit that category where I, okay, you know, if the union's telling me not to do it, I don't want to buck the union. I don't want to, um, you know, uh, have, have other players looking at me cross-eyed um, for, for bucking what they want to do and going against what they want to do. So not everybody uh, understands the fine print. And the fine print is Juwan James could be out $10 million because he got hurt off of the, uh, outside of the facility, not at the facility. And uh, I think it's starting to gain some momentum out there uh, because even fans are starting to understand, hold on a second, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. The union is telling the players not to do this, but they're also not necessarily giving them all of the information of what the risks and rewards are. And a player, to me, any union, worth its weight protects everybody and not just a select few. And I think that uh, between the fact that they're really short-circuiting some of the younger players that are coming up, uh, rookies, undrafted free agents, the guys that we just mentioned, the first and second year guys that might be pushing for a job, or maybe they're at the crossroads of their career. You know, there's guys on the Raiders that are now going into year three and year four, and, you know, that contract is starting to run out. Um, and they haven't necessarily made their mark, and this is a huge year for them, and times that by 32 because there's a whole bunch of teams that have a whole bunch of players that are in that category, and they need all the help that they can get, every edge that they can create for themselves. Uh, and, and, and sometimes that's just you know, being as astute as you can possibly be with the, with, the, with the playbook, getting into the facility and diving into it and trying to hone your craft and do what's right by you and your career. Um, you know, a lot of guys, this is it for them. <laughs> you know, when you're going into that third, fourth year and you haven't quite made your mark, uh, and it, there's definitely cases where guys turn it on in that third, fourth year, 
because now they have a command of it. They're, you know, uh, they understand the playbook. Their body is working for them, um, and 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 all of that. But and 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 part of that success is predicated on a lot of what goes on in this offseason. And I think that the the union guys like J.C. Treader are really short-serting it, or just not looking out for those type of guys. And I have a big problem with that, and we saw what the ramifications were of Juwan James uh, getting hurt outside the building, and now that $10 million that he's owed next year is extremely vulnerable. And the NFL sent out a memo today to, um, you know, uh, basically as a reminder to players, like, hey, if you didn't know, if your union didn't, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but if your union didn't tell you the fine print of boycotting these OTAs and, and not working out at the facility and working out on your own, if they haven't told you, well, you might want to read the contracts and get a better understanding of it and give us a call. We've got some lawyers here that can walk you through it. If your union hasn't done that, we can do that. Because basically, if you get hurt off-site, working out on your own, your contract can be voided. Your salary can be voided. That's just the fact of the matter. That is part of what the players sign when they sign their contracts. And so I think it's a, it's, it's a short-sighted play uh, by the union. And if we want to get into why they're doing this, um, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, obviously they're not happy that there's a 17th game. We understand that. But that 17th game was coming, number one. And number two, it was part of the last collective bargaining room. Remember last summer uh, when it got right down to, you know, right before training camp and they hadn't signed that new or ratified that new, uh, that new, that new deal and there was, a, there was a, you know, a possibility that maybe the season would be interrupted because of that? Well, they did sign off on that. Players and owners came to an agreement on a CBA. Part of that was that a 17th game was coming, whether it was in 2021 or 2022, there was going to be an NFL season. And OTAs, it was clearly stipulated and, and, and written in what OTAs were going to entail for the next 10 years or the duration of, these, uh, of this CBA. If the players were so bent against that happening if the players did not want or if the union just did not want uh, uh, OTAs to be part of the offseason and mini camps to be part of the offseason, they should have fought harder for that when the negotiations were going on, back when that CBA was being negotiated and then ratified. But they did. And for them to, I think, haphazardly and dangerously, as we see in Juwan James's case, try to retroactively fight back for that or try to you know, uh, make a little bit of a power play here um, to, try to, to try to either condense OTAs or to eliminate them altogether after it's already been ratified, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And in the meantime, again, by convincing players with the power of the union to do what the union wants right now, to boycott the OTAs and boycott cut, cut minicamps, again, it's putting players like Juwan James in tremendous, tremendously vulnerable positions, and it's short-circuiting uh, the development of the young players in this league, of which there are many. And you have to wonder at some point, is J.C. Treader and other veteran players of his stature, 
Are they just afraid of competing for their jobs? Are they afraid of the younger group that's coming up? I'd hate to think that. I'd hate to think that. I think more than anything, it's just that they feel like they're at a place in their careers where they don't need OTAs, and maybe they don't. Maybe they don't, but again, that's something that you should have fought for when the negotiations were underway for the last CBA. That thing has been tied up and done, and you signed off on it. So, And here's the thing. I am pro players. That's been kind of a point of contention on, on Twitter. I am pro players. I'm completely pro, pro players. I don't think that they're being given the best advice. I'm looking out for those younger players who there's a bunch of them that want to be in the building. There's a bunch of Raider players, that young Raider players, um, and maybe even some veterans. But all I know is when I drive by the facility and when I go to work at the facility, when I do the show there a couple of days a week, I see plenty of cars and plenty of players coming in and out of that building. There's a lot of players that are saying, you know what, Union? We understand what you're trying to do. Great. But for me, personally, it's better off if I work out here. And I actually applaud uh, those guys. This is a free country, after all. And as powerful as the NFL Players Union is, I'm glad that there are players that, that are saying, you know what, um, I don't really believe you got my back here. I'm going to do what's right by me. And this is a free country, and you should be able to do that. And, and you know, if, if there's players out there um, and they're – I know, I know for a fact that not all agreed with um, boycotting. I know that for a fact. In, in, in fact, there's a lot of players, a whole bunch of players that don't. Why? You know, realize how much money is involved here in careers, in furthering your career, in signing your next contract, in putting yourself in a position to get as many snaps as possible, to be as good as you possibly can, <laughs> to earn a second contract or a bigger contract. What are we, what are we talking about here? How do you do that? You do that by being a valuable part of the team, by showing that you can play at this level, by honing your craft, by being the best possible player you can possibly be. And a lot of, that, a lot of times that means putting the work in and going to the facility and sitting with your coaches to the extent that you can and getting out on the field when you have opportunities to do that, not just in training camp. Yeah, I know J.C. Trader's like, hey, we, got we played a season last year, and it was fine. Well, I talked to some people in the NFL yesterday uh, that were like, no, it really wasn't fine. The level of play toward the end of the season was really bad. It wasn't up to snuff. And I saw poor tackling last year. I, there were injuries last year. Injuries were up 16% over the first half of the season. We have our doctor that comes on. Dr. Odell during the week, they were taught, the doc, and, and Michael Moses from uh, the, the Neuropathy and Pain Center in Las Vegas, what were they saying all last year? Soft tissue injuries, susceptible to it because you haven't put the time in during the off season, especially in a supervised way, to be prepared for what your body is going to go through when training camp hits. Now look, I am so happy that the players have been able to get what they've been able to get in terms of, hey... You don't need to have two-a-day practices every day in training camp, full pads, getting after it, doing the Oklahoma drill, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, and full-on scrimmages. That's stupid. That's dumb by teams to, to do that. And we've learned a lot with concussions and injuries. You don't need to do that. You don't need to be fully padded practices you know, three days a week during the regular season. That's dumb. That's stupid. We learn. You evolve, uh, and, and you get better, and you understand, you know what? It's, 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 it's really less about 
that by the time the regular season comes around and more about the mental and getting out there and you know getting the blood flowing obviously and and and, and practicing at at a certain extent of speed but you don't need to be crashing into each other every single day like they used to do back in the day that was stupid that was dumb i'm glad the players were able to seize a moment and negotiate rules in their favor to protect them from stupidity which was reigning for many years uh, in professional football rub some salt in it don't bring any water out on the practice field i know guys that are of my age that went through hell week during high school football and and two a days and just fully padded practices where we're just annihilating each other i'm glad that's no longer part of football that's smart but there's also um you know uh what they have done with OTAs, how they have structured the practices, is 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 much more smart than it was back in the day. And there's also good reason why you need players in there in supervised situations for OTAs and conditioning and, and weight room work and getting on the field with your strength and conditioning coach. There is common sense to that. And I think that it's short-sighted by some of these union leaders to negate that or just completely obliterate it and frankly strong arm their full membership into following in line. I don't believe that's leadership. I think that's the contradiction of leadership. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What up, what up, what up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Happy Cinco de Mayo. It is a Wednesday here in the huddle. Vinny Monster brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Uh, Going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, looks like Derek wants to talk about the trajectory of this Raiders team and roster. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, brother. Uh, yeah, you know, I just had a few questions, if you want to mind, man. I'm a, I'm a Raiders fan over here in uh, Tampa Bay. I've been a long-time nice. Raiders fan since, obviously, the last Super Bowl with the uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. So I've been on the wrong side of uh, irony over here for the past 18-plus uh, years. Right, um, right. But more or less, my question, though, um, as with the newest additions, obviously the, the tracking of, obviously, like Aaron Rodgers possibly going to the Raiders, how do you feel about Derek Carr moving forward? And obviously him and, you know, media doesn't really work out too well. But as far as the team moving forward, how do you feel about the trajectory moving forward? Um, well, you know, I look at what they did this offseason, and I feel like, um, you know, I think the biggest surprise to me was the offensive line. I don't think we necessarily saw the turnover that was going to happen on the offensive line. Although, um, you know, it was, the, it was the highest paid offensive line last year. They needed to smooth that out a little bit, especially with Colton Miller. Um, coming up on on his new payday. Uh, and I think that there's a belief in Andre James. I think they really believe they uh, hit a home run with Alex Leatherwood as their as their new right tackle. So it, and with Tom Cable, there's confidence that they're going to get that squared away. Um, I like what they did with Kenyon Drake. Um, I think that you know just or uh, Josh Jacobs has kind of limped down the stretch toward the end of each of his first two seasons. I think it's going to help that he has a viable, viable backup that can not only play alongside him, sometimes for him. Um, there's going to be a lot more versatility as far as that running back room goes. And I think Derek Carr has played really well. I mean, it's not his fault. 
and I don't say that lightly. Are there better quarterbacks than he is in the NFL? Absolutely. Uh, is Aaron Rodgers a better quarterback? Ob obviously, he's a better quarterback. If you can go get Aaron Rodgers and the price um, you know, isn't going to just cripple you for the next you know, five years, you have to consider it. But it's a long shot, you have to admit. I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers are going to have to want to trade him, and a lot of things have to come together for it to happen. So if that doesn't happen... I think Derek Carr is absolutely a viable playoff caliber quarterback. Um, he needs a defense. I think, and you've been a fan for a long time. I'll ask you this, Derek. I started covering the Raiders in 2019, late 2019. Okay, so I've known about the Raiders. I've followed the Raiders in my other jobs in Los Angeles, covering the Lakers and the Rams and all that. But I wasn't, I didn't intimately know the Raiders, right? It's not until I got here that you have to really just dive into it as, as the beat writer. Yes, um, but let me ask you this. You've watched pretty much, I'm sure, every game that Derek Carr has played, uh, every season that he's oh, played in the NFL, as a fan like you are. Can you name oh, me man. a quarterback in the NFL, a good quarterback? And Derek Carr, by all, by all measures, is a good quarterback. Do you, yes, can you recall a quarterback that has played with as bad a defenses as Derek Carr has played among the good quarterbacks in the you NFL, know, Tom? Unfortunately, man, um, I, I can say only one person that I can say that would be any anywhere near considered um, to play behind the worst defense, and that's unfortunately going to be his brother and David Carr. And when he got drafted by the Houston Texans, um, that would be the only quarterback that I would say would have, have had worse defense than Derek Carr. Um, and we see what happened to David Carr. Um, great quarterback, obviously, come out of college, a lot of expectations. Um, but more or less, though, expected to do a lot of things behind a weak offensive line at that. Um, yeah. And I think he still got the job done. Um, but the defense, obviously, wasn't, wasn't the problem. And truthfully for me, um, the reason why I ask that question is because I'm a big fan of Derek Carr, and I believe he's the man that's going to get it done. A lot of people out there view Aaron Rodgers as the best option. And, you know, from video game standpoints and from just initial looks, yes, that may be the great option. But for a man that's kind of been in the system and learned under John Gruden and just a man of, you know, a man of war, I think John Gruden and Derek Carr, there's no better combo right now. And I'm looking forward to this season. It's going to be one of the best seasons in a long time. And as we've said, uh, Derek, and I'm sure you understand this, you know, uh, being the Raider fan that you are, if that defense, if that offense plays the way it did last year, even without, even with some of the flaws that they had uh, in the red zone scoring touchdowns, they scored a lot of points in the red zone. Unfortunately, it wasn't always touchdowns. They need to improve that. But even if they just do what they did last year, with a defense that was dependable and reliable and just average, they're in the playoffs, period, exclamation point. It's an end-of-story situation. That offense played well enough to get into the playoffs. The defense let them down time and time again on so many different levels, whether it was holding leads late in games. They blew three games late in the season that had they won, they're in the playoffs. But it was beyond that. It wasn't able, they weren't able to get to the quarterback. They had you know, like the 27th, 28th fewest sacks in the NFL. They forced the 28th, 27th fewest turnovers in the NFL. It was just a slew of weaknesses on that defense that really sabotaged the offense and Derek Carr. And I understand, and I really appreciate the call, Derek. I understand 
um, that the quarterback is the focal point. The quarterback is the lightning rod. The quarterback is going to get the blame. The quarterback is going to get you know a lot of the credit as well. But I can't sit here and um, responsibly tell the Raiders' story without telling about how bad that defense is and, frankly, how efficiently and solid Derek Carr did play. I'd be, it would be an untruthful account of, on my part, and I can't do that. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to write it as it is. Derek Carr in the offense played more than well enough to make the playoffs. The defense didn't, and I think that if you give him a defense with the same offense now, uh, maybe even a little bit better in some areas, you're going to see that. If it doesn't happen, if there is a good defense here in Las Vegas um, uh, and, and they're improved and they still don't make the playoffs, then you have to really start looking at Derek Carr. But the Derek Carr that I saw last year and that offense that I saw last year um, could have made noise in any playoff had they had a good defense. And we saw that when they should have beaten the Kansas City tri- Chiefs twice. And it wasn't because the Chiefs' offense played, quote-unquote, badly. The Raiders and Derek Carr just went toe-to-toe with them offensively. That's how good the Raiders' offense was in both of those games. They won those two games. In my mind, it was the defense in that second game that blew it down the stretch. So I appreciate the call, Derek. Don't be a stranger. Uh, give us a call whenever you, uh, whenever you like. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend uh, from the local Channel uh, uh, 3 NBC affiliate out here in Las Vegas, and that's Jesse Merrick. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. Good to hear from you. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I haven't talked to you um, since the draft, and uh, we probably had you on five, six, seven times, I'd say, uh, talking about what yeah. the Raiders need, what they have to do. Um, and it may not have happened in the order that everybody envisioned and saw, <laughs> but they pretty much did what we were uh, you know, uh, uh, explaining that they needed to do, right? Um, Alex Leatherwood, the, the offensive tackle from Alabama, Maybe was you know a little bit higher than than some others had him on on their board, but they got their right tackle, and in the second round they go get the best, arguably the best free safety in the in the draft in Chavon uh, uh, Morig. Your your thoughts just on on those two first picks uh, that the Raiders made? Yeah, yeah. For you, I mean, I agree with you on that. And the simple fact that yeah, not the order we expected, but at the end of the day, you got two starters out of it, and they and if they both live up to the hype of being starting caliber caliber players. And who cares who you took first and who you took second? I don't think that really matters. And Leatherwood, obviously, is a guy that, you know, again, a lot of people said was a reach, but it sounds like he wasn't going to get past the Ravens. So if the trade isn't there, and clearly the Raiders tried. There was one trade in the team, and that was at 14, if I remember right, that was, uh, you know, for a player that wasn't a quarterback. And, you know, so for me, it's like, look, the, the trade wasn't there. No one was trading up to go after any of the edge rushers or anything like that. So you sit there, you take the guy that you want, that you have the highest grade on, and, uh, you know, from now on, he'll just be graded against Derisaw because there's a guy that they took him over because he was the only other O-lineman that went. And then, again, getting the guy in uh, Trayvon Merrick there, I mean, a, a pick that everybody went nuts for and, and loves because they said, hey, he had a first-round grade on him. The only reason he slipped because of that back injury. And, you know, he brings unreal ball production and versatility to that secondary because he's played free safety, he's played strong safety, he's played the nickel as well. So he can do it all. Obviously, he's going to be that post-safety, which Mayock said after the draft. But I think getting a guy like him that's just a, a playmaker is big because so many times the things that we talk about with the Raiders is obviously they've got to fix the defense, but they got to get turnovers. And that guy batted the ball down and came away with turnovers better than anybody else coming out this year. 
No question about it. And we're talking to uh, Jesse Merrick uh, from uh, the local NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas. Uh, sticking with Alex Leatherwood, um, c- a couple of things sort of jump out at me about this whole thing. Number one is the uh, is, is the support that he had from Tom Cable uh, in in the Raiders uh, building in, in Henderson. That to me counts for something. Tom Cable is one of the best at what he does. But also, I go back and you know looking at the numbers. Um, at Alabama, this dude played a lot of snaps. Number one, played different positions uh, in college. Was a team captain uh, at Alabama, an Outland Trophy Award winner at Alabama, starter for three years, All American for two years. You know, on and on and on. And I say that to say this: if there's going to be some holes in his game or some areas of his game that need to be addressed, forget about the strengths, the weaknesses that may need to be improved. Don't you think? After how many starter snaps he played at the at Alabama, which by the way they're going to play more games usually than everybody else because they go to the championship games almost every year it seems. So they're playing an extra game, not uh, less games, and they're playing in their conference championship games. It seems like every year this guy has been out there every game, every snap. Don't you think that <laughs> coaches are going to see one way or another whether this guy is a first round talent or not? Just by the volume of, yeah. the, of, the, of how much he played. 100%. And that was kind of a trend uh, with the Raiders draft. You know, they went after guys that were experienced, that played a lot of snaps. And, again, that's where, especially in a year where medical is kind of up in the air and even, you know, you're not getting a look at, at the same amount of tape because of games, you know, being shortened and things like that in terms of how many games they played. You got these guys that you've got a lengthy tape you can go back and look at. And I remember when I worked in Alabama – I remember when they recruited Alex Leatherwood, and, you know, he came in with a lot of hype, and he was a guy that, you know, uh, I'm not going to sit here and try and tell you guys that when I was at Alabama, I was sitting there staring at the old line watching Leatherwood and things like that, but he was a guy that, that when he played, when he was out there, you didn't hear anything about him, and that's what you want from your offensive lineman. When you start hearing stuff about him, usually it's because they're doing something bad, and the kid went out there, he locked down that starting job and never let it go, and he was a solid guy. I mean, yeah, he needs some help in pass protection. We know that. And I think if there's anybody that is a project-type player that um, you're going to bring in on this Raiders team, I think you'd want him along the offensive line. Just look what Tom Cable's done with this group and with the injuries and COVID and all that stuff, what he managed to do. You bring in a guy that's got projectable traits along the offensive line, and I think there's nobody better than Tom Cable to be working on him. And he's playing the right side, not the left side, so there's a little bit less pressure uh, as a yeah. rookie um, that you're not protecting Derek Carr's backside. You can kind of ease into it a little bit if there's any such thing as easing into it in the NFL. Um, but at least <laughs> on the right side, that's that's managed uh, a little bit more. Uh, we're talking to Jesse Merrick. You can follow him at Jesse News 3 lv um, All right, go to the second round. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're watching this uh, the, the draft unfold uh, live. You, you see Richie Grant. Uh, and you see Javon Holland uh, from Oregon go off in the second round. The other two safeties, uh, uh, highly regarded safeties in this draft, within the first eight picks of the second round. Are you starting to think in your head, uh-oh, um, <laughs> these safeties are going off the board pretty quickly. The Raiders might need to do something to make sure that uh, the, the the best safety of all, Javon Morg, doesn't escape their grasp. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, man, what one, why is Merrick sliding? And yes. two, they do got to figure something out because I'm looking at it seeing the Cowboys there, and I'm like, I don't think he gets past the Cowboys. So when I see the trade come across, I was like, all right, it's got to be Merrick. This, if not, <laughs> Twitter and Raider Nation is going to lose their mind if they don't get their safety here. 
because again we've gone all off season waiting 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 what's the safety what's the safety going to be and then clearly it was like okay they're going to go for it in the draft and and you see him there and he's just hanging there too easy it's like too easy it's got to be this guy and so they made the right move and jumping up because I, I don't think he was getting past Dallas but I was definitely sitting there thinking like man if this doesn't work out this is not going to be fun to talk about because people are not going to be happy. It's funny because uh, uh, I, have a, I have a source in the NFL. It's not in Henderson. It's not here with the Las Vegas Raiders uh, or anything like that. But um, he was in a war room somewhere in the NFL, draft room somewhere in the NFL. And they always get the information um, faster than even TV, uh, right? So I was getting all the picks probably about three, yeah. four minutes before the picks come out, but thanks to that. Um, and I'm very fortunate, so uh, don't take that lightly. So um, I'm just sitting there, you know, all of a sudden I get a text. Raiders just made a trade. Okay. Um, then another text, they're on the clock. And so my text back to that person was, it's got to be Morg, right? And then 20 seconds later, yep, Morg. I was like, wow, <laughs> they made the trade to go get Trevor <laughs> Morg. So I was like, holy cow. Um, that's, you know, shrewd move, uh, not waiting at number 48 to go get him. Uh, and are, walking away, arguably, with the best free safety uh, in the draft. I mean, it's just a coup for the Raiders. And I think that whatever misgivings Raider Nation, Nation might have had, um, you know, with Leatherwood pick, I think everyone came back, you know, were, were okay with everything once they got Chevon Morg because everybody in Raider Nation obviously wanted him. Um, how do you think he's going to change uh, this defense? How do you think he's going to fit in in this defense? And Obviously, they made it official today. They released Jeff Heath. So it sounds like yep. it's full bore ahead. Chevon Morg is going to be the starter at free safety day one. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, you know, I think the biggest impact we're going to see with this is obviously let's see what the kid does when he gets out there. But I think just taking a weight off of Jonathan Abram's shoulders to let him not have to worry about as much and them to be able to take a bit more off of his plate for him to be more of that post-safety guy, you know, uh, not post-safety, box safety guy. You know, afterwards, Mayock said, you know, they're going to have defined roles. It's not going to be switching back and forth, all these different things. Like, Merrick is going to be back there. He's going to be that center fielder. And then Jonathan Abrams is going to be down there in the box playing with his skill set better. So I think it's just going to make that whole dynamic really interesting back there. But I, I can't wait to see the kid in that center fielder role. I know that there's going to be a bit of a, an adjustment for him because he played mostly two high looks when he was over there at TCU. But he's smart from everything I gather from all the info I've done in terms of getting research and stuff on him. You know, there's not much that people have knocks on him. You know, at times people have said his tackling isn't quite there. Well, they're not really going to be asking him to do a lot of that. He, again, is going to be that last line of defense, that safety in the backfield, and they're going to be asking him to do more coverage things, and that's what he excelled at. Again, had uh, more pass breakups and I believe interceptions than any safety over the last two years, if I remember right. So I, it's going to be fun to watch to see how this kid can sit back there and kind of roam around and, and read the quarterback and let his athleticism take over. All right, Jesse, I want to go back real quick to Thursday. Um, reports surface that Aaron Rodgers uh, oh, basically, wants, basically wants a trade from, the, from the, um, you know, the Green Bay Packers. I'm like, oh, you know, what a bombshell to drop you know, on draft day. And then, I don't even know, it might have been a half hour after that. It was, oh, by the way, the Raiders are one of the teams that he wants to play. I'm like, oh, man, oh, that just changes everything. Now, you know, so obviously we got to switch our hats, and I know you did the same thing as, as, I, as I did. Um, yep. What did you make of it, and what do you make of it? Well, I don't know if I can repeat the words on the air that I said when I, when I saw the news. <laughs> I was blown away initially. And then seeing that he wanted to come to Vegas, I just laughed, and I'm like, man, every, every quarterback out there wants to come to Vegas. What the heck? Like, 
you know, I, I laugh at that. Any, anytime that comes along, everyone's, you know, their top three always includes the Raiders, which is great for the Raiders. Um, I just don't, you know, look, it's Aaron Rodgers. I understand that MVP of the league. He is, if you can get him, you get him. I just don't think it's worth it to give up the draft capital that you're going to have to give up because when you're going to need that stuff in the future for your, your defense and just this team to build it in general, you, you don't have the, you're not a quarterback away, you know, and, and I heard you before I came on talking about, Derek Carr, that he is not a bad quarterback. He is not the reason this team has been what they've been. Like, he, he hasn't been the issue. So it's not like, again, you're that quarterback away from being this team that's going to be a Super Bowl contender. And, look, I know it's Aaron Rodgers. I know that guy can erase a lot of issues, and Green Bay has leaned on him, and he's been able to do that. But I just don't think that's something you should be pursuing unless you can get him for a deal, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but I, I am really interested to see kind of how that goes along. It seems like uh, Green Bay is ready to call his bluff, and, that's one guy that I think would uh, would be able to retire. He's, what, 37 years old. He's made plenty of money, and uh, he could even go host Jeopardy if he wanted to to hold out a little bit longer. You know, I think this is going to be something that's real long and drawn out. Um, but it's also real interesting because one of those other teams you hear popping up is Denver, and, man, you don't want that guy to end up in Denver, that's for sure, because I think the Broncos are going to be a much better team. That defense getting healthy. Yeah, they've got some guys that are a little older up there, but, man, Adding Aaron Rodgers to the mix there with the receiving core they have would not be great. I know Raider Nation doesn't want to hear me mention any of that stuff, but uh, it, it'd be interesting to see where this is going to go. So that's that's a storyline I'm really going to be watching throughout the offseason for sure. Yeah, if there was ever if there was ever a good time to cue the the Jeopardy music, now would be that time. <laughs> right. uh, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing that quite often uh, for the next month or so. We'll see where all that heads. Uh, you can follow him at Jesse News. 3LV, uh, Jesse Merrick. He is uh, the sports anchor of the uh, local uh, NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas. Last question for you, and it's a big one. Um, all right, so essentially the offseason, the free agents period is, is over. There might be some smaller moves uh, down the road, but I think the heavy lifting, uh, safe to say, has been done. Obviously, another draft is in the books. Uh, as you sit here and look at the Raiders and the Raiders roster, um, what it looked like two months ago, what it looks like right now. Uh, what is your comfort level that they've adjusted their needs and made the necessary moves uh, in order to really put themselves in position next year, not just to compete for a playoff spot and maybe put themselves in a position 10 games into the season to be in a playoff, to make a playoff run, but to actually cross that finish line this year? Yeah, if I'm a Raiders fan, honestly, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, obviously, we all know what happened with the offensive line, and that was a big whoa moment. But when you look at it, there's really only going to be two new starters in Andre James and Alex Leatherwood if everything goes the way that it should. So it's not like some massive overhaul, um, you know, when you look at it from that front. And then just look at the depth that they've added, especially on defense. You look at the cornerback position with bringing in Casey Hayward, what that does to that room in terms of slotting guys down. I think they've done a really good job of adding depth at some key positions, you know, and, and I like the pick even with Divine Diablo. That's maybe some insurance for Corey Littleton. And then you bring in a guy like Tyree Gillespie, who's going to be some insurance for Jonathan Abram. I mean, they've got some depth back there in these uh, positions where you have some question marks with some younger guys or some guys that you paid. So I think they position themselves well. And, again, as we've talked about, all we need from the defense is to be middle of the road and I think they've got the tools to do it. New defense coming in, you know, kind of maybe revitalize them a bit, um, you know, get them fired up for the season and figure out the new system and, and kind of roll it out there and see what happens. And, you know, this is a system that's in vogue, you know, the Seattle-type scheme, and, you know, it, it's worked well. He's had success there, and he's brought, brought in a guy like Hayward and 
and they've got some pieces that will, I think will succeed in this defense. My big question mark will just be how does that cornerback battle kind of unfold and then the offensive line, if it works out with Leatherwood and Andre James. I think those are the two big question marks that I've got. Love how you snuck in the name Divine Diablo. Um, I, 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 I just I keep days. looking at that name going, I love this name. So good on you for, for figuring out a way to drop the name Divine Diablo. Very good, uh, Jesse. Good work on that for sure. <laughs> great name. Love that name. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, man, thank, thank you so much. Ever. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much for spending some time uh, in the huddle. Uh, really appreciate the insight and the knowledge as always. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you down the road. Same to you, my friend. Always good talking to you. Absolutely. That's Jesse Merrick uh, from the local uh, NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas. Uh, always on top of things. And, you know, he's always going to drop the fact that he was in Tuscaloosa and uh, covering Alabama back in the day. So uh, nice to know that he was there when a young Mr. Alex Leatherwood uh, showed up as a highly regarded recruit. He's a five, I think he was the highest ranked offensive tackle in that recruiting uh, class. Spoiler alert or shocker. The highest-rated lineman went to the University of Alabama. Uh, stop me if you heard if you haven't heard that before. Uh, anyway, you're in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. When we come back, uh, Eric Allen is going to join us here pretty shortly to talk about his thoughts on Casey Hayward uh, in the fold and what the Raiders have done overall with that secondary and defense. We'll talk to you on the other side. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. We went from 48 to 43. Got ahead, we got ahead of Dallas, um, and we felt great about that. He's our number one rated safety. Uh, we had him with a, a, a big grade on our board. So we, we got a, a guy with a first-round grade uh, at 45 in the second round, so we are pretty excited. What up, what up, what up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. It is a Wednesday. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Hope you're having some fun uh, and tagging along with us. That was Mike Mayock, uh, the Raiders general manager, talking about um, Chavon Morag, uh, the safety that they drafted out of TCU. They did some quick work um, to, to trade up to make sure uh, that they were able to get uh, Morag, uh, understanding that safeties were flying off the off the um, Board at that point, Richie Grant got drafted, Javon Holland. Um, we'd been touting both of those players, thinking that they would be there at 48 um, for the Raiders. That obviously uh, wasn't going to be the case after they both got drafted within the first eight picks of the second round. And there's Morig, who everyone thought was going to be the first safety off of the board. And the Raiders said, um, yeah, uh, we're not going to wait. And I can guarantee you that picking 44, that Dallas Cowboys, yeah, they were going to draft uh, Trevon Morig, uh, the local kid from uh, from Texas, and so the Raiders said, "Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're able to to um, you know trade up, make sure they got their safety and um, got their guy. And uh, kudos to them because that was the position that they needed. And I think we saw yesterday um, that you know releasing Jeff Heath. I know they made it official yesterday, but that decision was made yesterday. Um, it basically says that they believe." Trevon Morig is ready to um, is ready to go as the starter, and um, if not, then you know you still have got uh, Carl Joseph uh, in the mix. Uh, they signed, re-signed 
uh, Carl Joseph, their former first-round pick back in the day, who's now uh, going to be kind of that swing safety. Um, he'll, he'll fluctuate between uh, the strong safety position and the free safety position. Uh, there'll be a lot of times where he's on the field. There's just a lot of football these days that's played with three safeties out on the field. Um, it's one of those positions now. It's kind of like a chess piece. Um, and then, you know, so, so expect Carl to get on the field a lot. Uh, and maybe he is the insurance in case uh, Mo Rigg isn't able to, uh, to go. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think Trevon Moore takes a hold of this position ASAP. Um, I look at him as, honestly, if he stays healthy, the opportunities that he's going to get in this defense, the way he's going to be utilized by Gus Bradley, the type of defense that he's playing on, the type of player that he is, I would not bet against him being in the running uh, for Defensive Rookie of the Year award. I'm, I'm just saying that right now. I am just flat out saying it. I, I've watched the tape now so many times, and I just see a stud. This dude can play football. And I think that he's going to a really good situation with Gus Bradley and Ron Milas. Um, as, as the defensive coordinator and his position coach. He's going to be in a really good position to do some really big things. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. When we come back, the great Eric Allen is going to join us. He's going to break down that Raiders secondary.